Welcome everyone to the College Parent Podcast. My name is Sydney Giles. And my name is Emma Leonard. And we want to thank you for joining us. On today's episode, we will be interviewing Dr. Jenny Bloom, Professor of Higher Education Leadership and founder of the Office of Appreciative Education at Florida Atlantic University. We will be talking about the benefits of reaching out to the professional staff members on campus and how to utilize those resources. Let's go ahead and dive in. Welcome, Jenny, to the College Parent Podcast. Thanks so much, Sydney. Emma, I'm delighted to be here. Thank you for having me. If you want to go ahead and give our listeners just a little brief introduction of your experience in student affairs and kind of why we invited you here today. Well, I was uh, an undergraduate at Illinois State University, and I majored in physical education teaching and decided my senior year while I was doing my student teaching that that wasn't what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. And so I wasn't sure what was going to follow. And I was very fortunate. My next door neighbors growing up were both associate deans at the University of Illinois. And they said, hey, Jenny, we hear that you're not going to be a PE teacher anymore. Will you, um, would you like to come to Illinois and get your master's degree and come work for Bob, my neighbor? And I was like, uh, I don't, I don't know, but Thank you for, for thinking of me. And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, yes, this would, why not? This sounds great. So I ended up going to the University of Illinois and earned my master's degree in athletic advising because I thought I was going to be an athletic advisor. And um, I did that. And But the more important thing was that I worked in the transition program at the University of Illinois which was for underrepresented minority students who were admitted with lower ACT scores and high school ranks. And literally the first day I met with a student, I knew that that was what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And it has been what I've been doing ever since. And so I was looking for a job after I finished my master's degree. And there was an academic advising position open at the Institute of Aviation at Illinois, and I was selected for the position and worked with these amazing uh, folks who wanted to pursue careers in aviation. And while I was doing that, I started working on my doctorate in higher ed and earned my doctorate. And at the time when I was working at the Institute of Aviation, uh, I, you know, I finished up the doctorate and was looking for a job, and there was one available at the University of Illinois College of Medicine at Urbana-Champaign, and I started as the coordinator of the MD-PhD program and worked with, we had, it was one of the largest MD-PhD programs at the time. We had about 175 MD-PhD students. And I ended up over the next 12 years working my way up and eventually became the associate dean for all of the medical students, as well as uh, coordinating the uh, MD-PhD program. From there, I ended up going to the University of South Carolina, kind of reinventing myself and became a clinical professor of higher education and student affairs there. And then eight years ago, I went from South Carolina in a clinical track position to here at Florida Atlantic University 
into a tenure track position and uh, I earned tenure and promotion to full professor a few years ago. And so, yeah, so that's my story and I'm sticking to it. The short answer is because we're scary. Um, it's really intimidating to come talk to a professor. Uh, I can talk about that for a little bit because I think it's scary to talk to higher education professionals, period. And then I think faculty are even more scary. And I think we just need to acknowledge that up front, that it's we have power as professors, we give grades. And so students are intimidated by us. And so, you know, my work on appreciative advising really in like the disarm phase of appreciative advising is kind of about recognizing how scary we are. And then what kind of steps can I as a faculty member take to make myself a little less scary and make the student feel more comfortable so that I can actually work with them to help help them um, discover who they are and come up with a plan and, you know, address any issues that they, that they, uh, you know, come across, but to just go say, oh, you should go talk to a professor without talking about how do you do that, I think is something that we can do a better job of in higher ed to, um, you know, kind of prepare students for meeting with professors. Can you expand on the appreciative advising framework and how it can be applied to students entering a meeting with a professional staff or faculty member? Sure. So my work has, the last 20 years of my life have been spent kind of co-creating and developing what's known as appreciative advising. And this emerged about in 20 years ago, um, when I was presenting with the co-author of my first book, Nancy Archer Martin, um, about how to advance your career in higher ed administration. And we were giving a presentation at the American Council on Education. And somebody after that presentation came up to us and said, is this appreciative inquiry? And we said, uh, I don't know, what's appreciative inquiry? And it turns out appreciative inquiry is an organizational development theory that was created and developed by David Cooper Ryder, who's a professor at Case Western Reserve University. And it had four phases about kind of how how you approach an organization is important. The questions that you ask when you go into an organization are important. And so the more I thought about it, the more I was like, gosh, this is what I'm doing in my academic advising is really paying attention to the questions that I'm asking. So appreciative inquiry has four phases, discover, dream, design, and deliver. And eventually my co-authors, Bryant and Jane and I um, added in a couple of more phases. The first phase, the disarm phase, and the last phase is the don't settle phase. And this can be used, at first it was, here's a framework that academic advisors can use to undergird their interactions with students. But what's happened over time is that now this appreciative advising framework is being used across student affairs fields, including admissions, orientation, 
career advising, financial aid advising, et cetera. And what I've learned is that really this framework is all about how do you build good relationships centered on trust with other people. So uh, to answer your question, I can kind of take you through the six phases of appreciative advising and how it can be used by students to build relationships built on trust with other students, with parents, with professors, etc. So the disarm phase is all about creating an environment where everybody feels safe and welcomed. And so let's say that a student is, one of my students is going to meet with another faculty member. So I would coach the student on how to do that. And I would do that first by acknowledging how scary it is to go talk to a professor. I think that validation piece is an important piece. It is scary, and but there are some things that you can do to prepare. and. For example, in the disarm phase, one of the most important things is that you show up on time. If a professor has made an appointment with you, the expectation is that you're going to show up on time and be prepared. So then discover is all about learning a, a little bit about the person. And so for a professor, it's easy enough to do this now versus 30 or 40 years ago when I was an undergraduate student in that you can just Google the professor and look them up and see what their interests are. And if you really want to just blow a professor away, you would look up one of their recent articles and print it off and bring it with you to that appointment. Because if somebody does that when they come in to meet with me, I'm like, wow, that's so impressive. It, it shows that you've taken that extra step. And even if you don't understand what the professor is writing about in it, the fact that you took the time to look up their research and then you're bringing it with you says a whole lot and so anyway and now i'm going to kind of sh shift a little bit in terms of my example so the next phase of appreciative advising is the dream phase and that is where you kind of get to know somebody's hopes and dreams for the future and, you know, you can do that with a professor to, you know, you can ask questions like, you know, where do you see what what is like most exciting in terms of your research in the upcoming years? Like, where do you see yourself devoting the most time and energy in terms of research topics? And then in the design phase, the design phase is all about co-creating a plan. Well, you may not be co-creating a plan with the professor on, on making that dream of, you know, where they're hoping to go with the research. But nonetheless, you, the design phase is all about co-creating a plan. And then the deliver phase is when the person goes out and delivers on that plan that has been co-created. And the last phase is the don't settle phase. And the don't settle phase is just a reminder to all of us to always try to get better. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that I hope for everybody that they learn in their higher education journey is that learning is a lifetime journey. 
And you always, especially today with technology changing so rapidly that we all just have to be sponges and trying to keep up with the new technology and news that's happening in the world and make adjustments as appropriate. So Jenny, can you um, walk us through some of the ways that you've helped students who have come into your office and how have you seen those visits impact those students? So I've been really fortunate. I mean, I love my students. I've worked with the most amazing people that you can imagine. And every conversation that I have with somebody is different, right? So I've worked with aviation students. I've worked with MD, PhD students, people who are pursuing their PhD and everything too, by the way, you know, not just biomedical sciences, but English and history and uh, community health, et cetera. And now I'm working with higher education leadership, masters and doctoral students. And so this is where I find this framework of appreciative advising so helpful because you meet one MD, PhD student, you have met one MD, PhD student. They are not all the same. And so really taking that time to get to know each individual and their story and their strengths and their skills, that's the discover phase, finding out what their hopes and dreams are for the future, the dream phase, and then the, you know, coming, helping them to come up with a plan to make this happen is the design phase. And then supporting them throughout their, their journey is deliver. So I have people who are airline pilots now. I have people um, that I've worked with who have become, you know, department chairs uh, at UCSF and um, that are physicians at Harvard and Stanford, et cetera. But the most important thing to realize is that each of them is is unique. And I will also say like, this is a framework that I use outside of work to build relationships too. And I'll give you a, a specific example. So when I lived in Illinois and I was working at the medical school, my husband, Steve and I were out to dinner with one of his um, former coworkers and, and her significant other. And at dinner, he said, the significant other said, just kind of casually, but kind of sadly, you know, the only regret that I have is that I never earned a bachelor's degree. And I was like kind of surprised because he actually taught at our community college. He was uh, in real estate and he was really well respected. I just kind of assumed that he had a bachelor's degree because he was teaching at Parkland. I was like, Bob, so tell me, tell me about your, your story. I think you mentioned that you'd done a little bit of college coursework. And so he told me about the college coursework that he had completed. And I also knew that he was a pilot and I was like, which licenses do you have? And he had like a number of licenses. And I said, so Bob, you're telling me that your dream is to get this bachelor's degree I said, are you aware of this program at Eastern Illinois University that will give you credit for some of the real life experiences that you've had and credentials that you've earned? And he had earned a number of, of other 
industry related. Actually, his industry was not real estate. It was insurance. And so he had earned a number of credentials in that particular field. And I said, you realize like you can get some academic credit for what you've done outside. I said, given that you've like finished two to three years of college um, and that you have all these other credentials, I said, I would love to get you set up with my friend who runs this this program at Eastern Illinois University. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'd love to do that. So the next time my friend was up in Champaign, I had the two of them meet. And guess what? He he only needed like less than 20 hours of college credit. And he was able to come up with a plan with my friend. And he graduated with his bachelor's degree at Eastern Illinois University. And I went to the graduation. And after the graduation, they had a kind of an area in their gym where the degree recipients got to meet with their family and friends after the ceremony. And when I saw him, I was walking into the gym, he saw me and he just cried. Uh, he was able to fulfill this dream of his. And so, you know, it it takes a village to for anybody to complete a degree. So that's just an example of something where I wasn't the one that helped come up with a plan, but I was able to get him to the person who came up with the plan with him and he was able to accomplish it. And of course, you know, we were able, my husband and I were able to support him kind of uh, throughout his journey and he did it. And it was really, really cool. What advice would you have for students who are maybe not using office hours to their full advantages? So office hours, you know, it's something that's a pretty standard practice within higher education. Uh, it's a pretty standard practice that is often not taken advantage of by students. And I will say, I think a big part of it is that it's really intimidating to come and meet with a faculty member on their turf. So number one, just know that it's scary. And so what you're feeling is normal. And as I always say, feel the fear and do it anyway, right? And go into those office hours prepared because if you're the one that is asking good questions of the faculty member, it gives you a feeling of a little bit more control um, going into that meeting with the faculty member. So what are the specific questions that you have, I would recommend writing them down because when, when I'm nervous, I kind of get, I, I can't think straight. And so it's hard for me to come up with questions in the moment, but if I've written them down, it's like, I have my little cheat sheet and I'm, I'm, I'm okay. And so just taking that time to prepare yourself to go in, I think, is also a key component. Directed more towards the parents listening, what are some tips that you have for them to encourage and empower their students to reach out to their professional staff on campus? I think the important thing is to believe in them enough to let them go do that <laughs> and to not try. I, I understand about wanting to help your child and the best way that you can help your child is to encourage them to prepare for the meeting with a faculty member 
and to validate their feeling of being scared about going and talking to the faculty member. The worst thing to do is to call the faculty member, for the parent to call the faculty member. This is a skill that students need to acquire, and they are not going to be able to acquire that skill if their parent is kind of saving the day and taking care of the situation. So I think, you know, college is a great time to stumble, to make mistakes, to learn from those mistakes. So, you know, I, our former um, Vice President for Student Affairs, uh, Corey King, here at Florida Atlantic University at orientation used to tell parents, okay, I want you to pull out your phone. Everyone pull out your phone. I want you to send a text to your child and it only should have three words. This text that I want you to send them should only have three words. And the three words were, I trust you. And it's so funny because the parents would do this and of course, you know, the, the students had been told, don't have your phones out. You know, you're not supposed to be on your phones, but of course they were on their phones. And so, so many, <laughs> so then he would go around and say, okay, tell me what your child's uh, response to your text is. And almost all of them is, are you okay? Are you okay, mom? <laughs> What's wrong? And that trust in in the in the good work that you've done as parents to get them to this point this trust in them that they can do this and that you believe in them is probably i think the most important thing that parents can do thank you so much for joining us jenny for the folks listening at home if you want to learn more about appreciative advising you can check out jenny's textbook the appreciative advising revolution as we wrap up this episode we want to thank jenny for taking the time to be a guest on our show. If you want to learn more, check out our other The College Parent Podcast episodes on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Have a great day and see you all next time.